Hey, welcome to Westside Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Here at Westside, we're all about equipping believers to succeed in life and mature in Christ as they reach, win, and disciple others. In just a moment, you're going to hear an encouraging message. But before we get into it, if we can serve you in any way by helping you grow in your walk with God, we want to connect with you at wcspokane.com slash connect. Fill that out and someone from our team will reach out to you. Now let's get ready to study the word together. I don't really have any recap stuff to tell you about because we're starting a, a new short mini-series in December and just felt prompted to uh, kind of just do a, a Christmas story message kind of through the month because there's a lot to be said that can't really be captured in just uh, a week or two right close. So I just figured um, the Lord was uh, directed me this way and felt prompted. Felt It seemed good. We'll put it that way. It seemed good. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about some Christmas uh, story information and stuff that's in the scripture uh, that I think will be fun. But I, I will say... Um, most people, and if this is a shock to you, I'm really, really sorry, just ahead of time, disclaimer, I'm sorry that I'm going to burst your bubble, uh, but most theologians, most Bible scholars, and I mean most, like 99% of them, um, are in agreement that Jesus was not born in December. Sorry. I mean, just not even close. There's just, just not even close. Um, Jesus was more than likely uh, born in lambing season, which is in the spring, because he's the lamb of the world, and God's times and seasons are perfect in his calendar. So uh, it's extremely small likelihood he was born anywhere near December. Um, we, Christmas was jammed into a pagan holiday. You can do your own homework on this. Um, you know, I'm not in any way writing off Christmas this season. It's a great time for us to celebrate Jesus' birth and to let the world know that Jesus is alive and he's, he's our Savior. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to figure out when we step into eternity. But for the most part, theologians have figured out Jesus was born in the spring. Um, sorry if that burst your bubble. But we're still celebrating Christmas. We're still talking about the, the story of Jesus' birth. And, um, and this, this uh, title, kind of the untold Christmas story, I'm not, I'm not bringing up anything, um, you know, out, out of the box as normal. But I'm going to add a little more bits and pieces to the puzzle because there's some other writings outside of scripture from the time that actually gives us some really unique perspective of what was going on. And it doesn't in any way circumvent or push aside scripture, uh, but it gives us a, a picture, a clearer picture of what was happening, which I think is really cool. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about some of that, what we see in the Bible, and then uh, some of the writings that are outside so we can truly see God's plan. I think it's going to be fun. You guys okay with that? Yeah. So... Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things about Christmas that, um, you know, that some things might surprise you, but, you know, there's some songs that we sing, you know, like, um, do you recall the most famous reindeer of all, <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? I just want to see how many heathens were in the house. You guys are like, <laughs> there's four or five of you joined right in. Rudolph is nowhere in the Christmas story, just so you guys know, at all. He's not in there. Uh, but there are some interesting things about uh, Jesus' family. And I want to start with um, a little bit about Jesus' family because God does uh, work uh, in, in individuals as well as families. When he calls an individual, he's calling their family. Do you know Jesus had family? He had, a, he had a bunch of family. The Bible talks about at least 14 different people that were directly related to him in the Bible. That's amazing. So we're going to see a handful of that. So turn with me over to Matthew chapter 1. 
And we'll look briefly uh, just at a couple things about Jesus' parents and a little bit about some other writings about Jesus' grandparents, which is really interesting. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So we get a little bit of lineage, right? We know lineage. We know that Jesus was a descendant of David, King David, right? And uh, the Bible is very clear that the Messiah was going to come out of King David's uh, line. So in, in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So we know in that one verse that Jesus' grandpa, right? Maybe called him Papa. Papa Jacob, I don't know. His Papa was Jacob. And his dad was Joseph. His daddy was Joseph. And so we know right away that uh, Jesus had grandparents and, and great-grandparents, and there's a good chance that he, he knew them. He knew them, who they were, and, you know, had Christmas and Thanksgiving with them. Come on, that's funny, right? I was waiting. That took a minute. He celebrated holidays with them, right? They had meals. He knew who his, his relatives were. And um, it's interesting to note where, where Mary's parents came from, too, because we don't have... Uh, anything that really points a lot to her, her upbringing. But we do know this, that if David comes from the lineage of David, that we know that Joseph, his dad, was not his, his dad's dad. He raised him, but Jesus came from the Holy Spirit. She did. She did. So there's other writings uh, of the time, just like we have today. There's historians, there's other people that are writing about things that are going on. When we look at our own country, uh, we have history books. Uh, again, I'm going to burst your bubble. Our history books that are being taught in schools right now are, are not accurate whatsoever. Amen. They're not, they are not telling the truth about what's actually happened 200 years ago. They have been meticulously changed on purpose to confuse and distract and distort what, how our country was founded. Sorry if that burst your bubble. It's true. If you're a teacher and that just freaks you out and that upsets you, go find a history book from the 1900s, early 1900s, late 1800s. If you can find one, if you can find one, because a lot of them have been gathered and destroyed, if you find one, you will see what real history was because history comes from people that lived in the time and wrote it down. Amen. So we're looking at, at uh, gospel narrative, and we have a book that's extremely accurate. The Bible is accurate, and it's been proven accurate so many times. I mean, thousands and thousands of times it's been proven that when it said something and historians say that couldn't possibly be, and then they put a shovel in the ground in Israel and say, oh, that city was really right here. The Bible was accurate again. And they just keep doing this over and over and over again. But there's other writers that have been proven true too. Josephus was a writer of the day, and he, and he wrote some things down. Historical record gathered and put things together. He's one of the scholars that they're looked to to say, hey, how do we piece history together outside of Scripture to, to validate the Bible? And Josephus is one of those writers. And there were others that these scrolls, these writings were saved. Now, they're not canon. They're not Bible. We don't memorize them and use them in our lives because they're not the Word of God. But they are historical record that tell us the Word of God is accurate. So there's some truth in this. And so um, Mary had parents. Um, she had a father whose name was Hokim, and, her, mo and his, her mom was Anna, and Hokim was of the line of David, and Anna was of the line, the priestly line of Aaron. So both her parents were out of the priestly and the kingly line. That's who Mary was. It's amazing. But Joseph also, his, the dad that raised him, was also from the line of David. Now, before you get crazy on me and like, how, wait a minute, what's going on here? We got some, we got some cousins, and what's happening? Listen, 
When you're in Israel this time, you could throw a stone blindfolded and hit somebody you're related to. I'm telling you right now. Just, it just, it, you're just relate, somewhere down the line in a generation, everybody's related. We go all the way back to Adam and they could trace it. So this is just how it was. And it was neat to see that Jesus was raised in the line of David, but Mary, specifically his mom, uh, was of the priestly and the kingly line. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's where our Savior came out. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Yeah. And so um, one of the things that we have to understand when we're looking at is Jesus' family is that um, he had a mom and a dad, and he was the firstborn because Mary conceived as a virgin from the Holy Spirit. She had not known a man. There's no other way to, to classify the verbiage that's spoken of in the Bible. She was not just a young girl or a young maiden, as some scholars say. She was a virgin, did not know a man. The Holy Spirit impregnated her with Jesus. And so Jesus came from the line and lineage of David. But Jesus wasn't the only baby that Mary and Joseph had. They had other siblings, and the Bible talks about them. Isn't that interesting? So let's look at it. Let's go over to Luke uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse 36, which I want to show you here. Um, Outside of of Jesus' immediate family, the Bible talks about his uh, cousin. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah were were relatives of Mary. And if you remember this, you'll see... um, the story goes, as the story goes here in verse 36, Luke 1, verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, uh, your relative, this is the angel talking to Mary. Your, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who is called barren. For God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, now we're in verse uh, 38. And then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now in verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to, to the city of Judah. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Luke 1, verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that the first person to recognize Jesus was in the womb. Life starts at conception. You're going to slide that right in there. Okay. See, it's just easy to do this when you're reading the Bible. It's easy to do. So John the Baptist, not born yet, leaps in Elizabeth's womb when, she, when he hears, when Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, who's carrying the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Leaps in her womb. So Elizabeth is a relative of Mary, and, and John, there's other scriptures that talk about John and Jesus, are, they're cousins. They're, so John is preparing the way of the Lord, and they are blood relatives. Jesus has family. When he calls somebody, he calls family. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, turn over to Matthew 13. Back over to Matthew 13. Let's look specifically at Jesus' Jesus' direct siblings in Matthew 13. Thank you, Lord. I didn't want to skip the John the Baptist part. I love that part. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so in 13, verse 54, Matthew 13, 54, we're going to see some siblings. It says this, and when they had come to his own country, this is Jesus going back to Nazareth. This is the passage of scripture where his own countrymen reject him. They don't receive Jesus because they know him. There's familiarity there. Why? Because he had family. He had friends. 54, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James? Joseph, which is also Joseph, Simon, and Judas, which is also Jude. 
and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where, where then did this man get all these things? So the Bible names four of Jesus' brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. And then sisters, that word sisters is actually the plural in the Greek, meaning he has at least two sisters. If it's my house, he had a bunch of sisters and they outnumbered all of them. That's just how it is in my house. But he has at least two and four brothers. Now, Jesus, Jesus was raised as a human being. He was a man. He came in as, as flesh and blood. And, and there are teachings that are, that are off base, off track, that say Jesus was performing miracles as a child. He's making little clay birds and then breathing life into them, and they were flying away. It's all just speculation and hogwash, just making stuff up. So that's why we have the scripture and the word of God that we can trust. And then there's other things that you got to kind of weed through. What's historical fact and what's just made up? But the Bible says that his siblings did not believe in him until after his resurrection. They, they came to him in another passage and they were trying to get, get his attention. Like, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? This is their older brother, Jesus. They think he's, he's crazy. They didn't realize and understand all the significance of what Mary went through, how this whole, all this thing, all this part of Mary went. They didn't understand this. Jesus wasn't performing miracles. He was just growing and, and learning and growing in wisdom and stature until his time of his ministry was at hand and the Holy Spirit came upon him. So it, I don't know about you, but for me, in looking at the Christmas story and how Jesus came into the earth, how he was born, how he was raised, having family and siblings brings this kind of authenticity and humanity to who our Savior was, that he just wasn't um, always on the forefront and way out ahead of everybody because of his mission and his call. He had to grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and he grew strong. His spirit uh, had to instruct him and teach him. He had to, again, from last week, which ties into this week, he had to find himself in the scriptures. He had to go to the word of God and, and find out his destiny and his calling and who he was. Even though he knew that on the inside he was destined for greatness, he had to see himself in the scripture. That was what brought him the power and the anointing. And then the Holy Spirit was able to come on him and he was able to start his ministry. So to his siblings, he was just brother Jesus. He was learning a trade. He was in the, he was in the schools learning the word just like they were. They were learning scriptures. They were in the synagogue. He was... Uh, asking good questions. Of course, he was excelling and growing and exceeding, but he was still carp- doing carpentry. He was still in work, but he was taught in the trade by his dad. He was making a living. He was eating. He was making things. He was laughing. He was recreating. Come on now. Jesus had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. That freaks you out. I'm sorry. I mean, there's just, he's very, he was a very natural human being, yet without sin, right? And so, his siblings, when he started out and launched in his ministry, to them, it was like, what is he doing? Because to them, right, they hadn't seen this miraculous light. He, he did, he wasn't, they weren't raised with him doing all these crazy things where they were convinced when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to his brother James. And we'll see that scripture. And that's when James said, you are the Christ. I see it. I see it. Jesus had siblings. When he calls a family and he calls an individual, he calls us together. And so where we're going with this over the next month is to understand the Son of God. But, but also it's a, 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 an excitement for us, an encouragement for us as parents, as family members, that when he calls us into the kingdom, he calls our family. And we have a, we have a responsibility as parents 
to raise our kids right, to put the word into them so that they understand and they grow in the things of God so that when God does call them and he does speak to them, that they know this is who I am. This is who I am. Amen? Amen. Everybody okay? <laughs> so he had at least four brothers, or he had four brothers that were listed and at least two sisters and probably more. Thank you, Lord. So um, that, that scripture I was telling you about, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, it says this, that after he was seen by James and then, all, then by all the apostles. So when, when Paul is telling the, the group that he's talking to in Corinthians that Jesus was seen by James, his brother, and then by the rest of the apostles. That was the moment when James believed that Jesus was the Christ. Until then, he was just big brother Jesus, doing some amazing things, maybe a prophet, but he was the Christ after he saw him, risen from the dead. Amen. Now, James wrote a book of the Bible. Jesus' brother, his, his biological brother, wrote a book of the Bible called the book of James, amazingly enough. And then his little brother, Jude, wrote the book of Jude. So when God calls families, come on, he calls us together. Jesus', Jesus brothers and family were involved in ministry. It's amazing. It's amazing. So... <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus wasn't just the only one. He wasn't the only example of calling families. We see this in the Old Testament too. Noah was called. He was the one, one that first heard the word of the Lord, that there's a flood coming and you have to build an ark. What's an ark? I don't know. God had to show him. It's a big boat. What's a boat? It's a big boat. It's gonna rain. What's rain? He didn't even know what rain was. It hadn't rained. I mean, God had to walk Noah through the whole thing. But when Noah had a task and a mission, it was for his whole family. His sons were involved in this and his son's wives were involved in this. This took a long time to build the boat. Amen. Abraham and Sarah and their whole family was involved. Jacob and his 12 sons were involved in a mission and a calling. <clears throat> Mary and Joseph were part of that. Zachariah and Elizabeth were a part of that. They had family. They were involved. So when we talk about the story of Jesus' birth, we get most of our information from Mary herself, Mary, Jesus' mother. Okay, the Bible says that when uh, she, um, when the shepherd, remember when the shepherds came to her and they told her that we were just in the field and the angels showed up and they sang and they told us that the Messiah was born and to come find you and we, we came and there you are and there's Jesus and this miraculous birth and there's angels singing and you remember, remember she heard all this and the Bible says in Luke 2 verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Now, on the surface, that looks like a simple phrase, but when you break down the words that mean something in the Bible, the word kept means to keep within oneself in order to closely guard or to accurately and carefully preserve it. We use the word kept. In the Greek, it means to closely guard and so that you can accurately and carefully preserve it. She was taking all this in and and committing it to memory so she would not forget the details of it. The word ponder means that it means to lay in order like one who carefully and meticulously chronicles a story. We use the word ponder. Oh, I was just thinking about it. No, ponder means to lay it in order so that you could carefully and meticulously chronicle a story. Mary was paying attention to all the details. What the angel said, what she said, how Jesus came, then she saw Elizabeth, the baby leapt. After that scripture where the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, 
Elizabeth prophesied over Mary and the Messiah that was in her womb, and then Mary prophesied over it. And she remembered these, she, she chronicled, she, if she had to write it down, she wrote it down. But when, she, when it says she kept and pondered these things, she was meticulously remembering the details of what was happening to her. Now, there's probably not a woman in here that's given birth to a child that cannot carefully and meticulously remember the details of what happened leading up to and in, in the event of, right? Are you hearing me? Yeah. I'm telling you that these are, these are details that can be remembered. And she, she was paying very close attention so that when the time came and it finally did, she could tell the story. Now, Luke, uh, he was a scholar. He was a doctor. He was very well educated. He, and he traveled with Paul and wrote, wrote Acts for Paul. And he wrote the book of Luke. But Luke sat down and interviewed Jesus' mother, Mary, when she was living with John in Ephesus in her, in her older age. John was tasked, you remember at the cross, with taking care of Mary. You guys read your Bible recently? John was tasked with taking care of Mary, right? So, so John was watching over Mary, and in the early days, they were handling the church in Jerusalem. But in the later days, John moved to Ephesus to help the church there, and he took Jesus' mother, Mary, with him. It was his job. And so Luke interviewed Mary in Ephesus, and Luke is the one that chronicles what happened. Mary, because she kept these things and ponder, pondered them in her heart, she was able to lay out the story that we, we read in Luke. It's amazing, and she, she remembers it in detail. Are you hearing me? So most of what we get from, this, uh, from, from Luke is from Mary. <clears throat> so Mary's remembering these details of how the angel spoke to her and how she gave birth in Bethlehem and how they had to come back. They came back to town, and uh, then Joseph's warned in a dream, hey, you, you, can't, stay, you can't stay home, you got to... You got to get to Egypt, remember? You, Herod's after your kid. And uh, so she's, she's remembering all these details so that she can uh, articulate this back and we can have a record of it. But this isn't the only record. There are others. Matthew talks about it. And he got, he got insight from her and from others. And then there's other writers that chronicle Jesus' life. This birth that Jesus uh, came about into the planet for was a big deal. The Magi, you remember the, the three... Wise men, the kings, the magi, they, they found Jesus because of record and because they were following the stars. Right. So there were other people outside of Jewish influence that were writing down these things of what was going on at the time. It's really interesting. So um, not, to, not to brush by um, the story of how Jesus came into the earth, because we've heard it, we know it. He was born in in Bethlehem. He was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, the shepherds found him. Um, when you start looking at this, you know, we, we jam all the, uh, all the meetings of what happened around, around Jesus being a young child into this one meeting. The shepherds showed up, and then waiting in line is the magi, and they're like, come on, hurry up, you know, we traveled along. The magi came to Jesus long after his birth. They, he was born in Bethlehem during census, but then how long do you like to stay in, in an out-of-town place while you're raising a kid? You know what I mean? Like, as soon as Mary was ready to go, it's like, hey, census is done. Let's go back home. So there, the, the Bible says that the Magi showed up to Jesus' house to, to, is this the child? The Bible says that the Magi followed the star to where Jesus was, right, in, in the house. So he was, he was already back. He, they got gifts and and, and treasures from the Magi. The Magi found out that Jesus was born by watching the stars and then, and then traveled 
and then came to Herod and said, hey, where's this guy? Where's the, where's the Messiah? Where's the guy that was born? And Jared, Herod's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but it takes you a few minutes to pack the car and get across town, doesn't it? I mean, you guys came from hundreds of miles away. Then you just saddle up and ride hard. It took them a while to figure out, who do we talk to? We got to talk to the Jews, and they got us to King Herod, and then, you know, we have all, and they finally found Jesus, because the star led them to where he was. I'm sorry, again, I'm bursting bubbles. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But now when you watch the nativity plays again, you're like, Magi weren't there. It's too early. It was way later. Come on. But it's true. I mean, it was later. They finally showed up, and Jesus was already out and moving around, and you know. So that's why Herod was like, we got to kill two years and under. It didn't happen last week. Okay. So um, all these things are, are really interesting parts of this story of how they had to go away and wait till Herod died and then come back. So what I want to pick up just briefly, just so you got a little more context of this, and we'll see some more scripture, is the town of Nazareth is very interesting. Um, there's scriptures that overlap in this and talk about where they were at, but Mary, um, well, let's see. Let's see if I want to go there first. Let's, let's talk about Nazareth, then we'll come back to Mary. Nazareth, was, uh, Nazareth is, a, is a Hebrew word that actually means a shoot or a branch. It's a branch or a sh- an offshoot of the line of David. In, in 100 BC, before Jesus came, uh, a, a clan of David's lineage that lived in Bethlehem said, you know what, this place is getting a little too crowded. We're going to move. And they moved to, guess what? The town of Nazareth. They were a branch. They were an offshoot of the lineage of David. And so there's this, this one clan that ended up populating Nazareth, and they were all in this line of King David because Jesus had to come from the line of King David, right? And the Bible says that he'll come out of Nazareth. Well, he was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't live there, and that's what Herod messed up. So he went and killed all the babies in Bethlehem thinking that the dude was from there, but they traveled there. He didn't put the dice, to, you know, the, all the pieces of the puzzle together to go, oh, maybe they traveled there since his time. He just, you know what I mean? He missed it, thank God, right? And then so, but Jesus was from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is his offshoot. It's, it's this line of David that both Mary and, and her betrothed, her espoused husband came from this line. And so um, that's, why, that's why we know. But Nazareth was very small. Historians say Nazareth was a small enough town, maybe 120, 150 people total. This is not a big town, right? And it's not in the way of anything. It's out of the way of everything. When they put in the interstate, Nazareth was way off, way off the path. Like you don't go there unless you're visiting somebody or something's horribly wrong. That's it. You don't go through there, nothing. It's, it's off the beaten path. But uh, what's interesting about Nazareth is this, is that you can still find it on the map, you can still find Nazareth on the map. Um, but four miles from Nazareth was another, another town called Sephoris. Now the ruins of Sephoris are in Israel today. Sephoris was a burgeoning town. It was a, it was a town that <clears throat> one of Herod's kids put his palace in. So when Herod died, King Herod, wicked King Herod died, and, and the angel appeared back to Joseph and said, Herod's dead, you can come back into, the, into you know, your home country, right? Everybody with me? Herod had three kids, um, Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas. All three of those boys were running different parts of Israel. And Archelaus was just as bad as his dad, and he was running southern Israel around Bethlehem. 
uh, Philip was a little more mild, and then uh, Antipas was another kind of full of himself uh, son. Imagine that from a wicked dad, right? But he was running the northern district, and the northern district was where Nazareth was and Sephoris. And so he decided he was going to make Sephoris his capital city. It was called, uh, Josephus called it uh, the Jewel of Galilee. It was, a, it was the most advanced city they had. It was brand new. They were building um, beautiful synagogues and buildings and, you know, modern day, let's talk hotels and restaurants. I mean, they were just, they were putting some nice stuff in there. And Nazareth sat 400 feet above the plain. So when you were in Nazareth, you could see Sephora also on a hill across the way which lends credence to Jesus talking about a city on the hill cannot be hidden, right? He was from Nazareth on the top of this little knoll and he was seeing this new city be built. Now, the interesting, interesting thing about Sephora is this, is that it was also the, the home base of the Sanhedrin. Now, when you look at scripture, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees were the religious groups. The Sanhedrin uh, were the keeper of the documents and the scrolls. They were, they were the ones that held on to scripture. They made sure that it got copied meticulously, line for line, letter for letter. Nothing was missed. It was, it was exact. It was precise. Uh, and they kept these scrolls. That was part of their job in this religious um, sect was to pay, pay it very close attention and keep the scrolls. And so Jesus' uh, mother, Mary, her parents, right, Joachim and Anna, Joachim was one of the high-ranking scroll keepers for the Sanhedrin. So while they lived in Nazareth, it was only four miles away. It was not uncommon for people to live in Nazareth, which was uh, accessible to Sephora to go back and forth daily. I mean, four, I mean, you wouldn't want to walk four miles a day, but this happened all the time. They would walk from Nazareth into Sephora for work, and they would build. And so her, Mary's father, Jesus' grandfather, was the keeper of the scrolls. Now, he was very well educated, very well skilled in the scriptures. And so was his wife. They were both raised and trained in the scriptures. And so Sephora was this town that they worked in. They saw they, uh, where Herod Antipas built his temple. But because the Sanhedrin had headquarters there, they built this beautiful, majestic temple and, and uh, religious structure where they would keep the scrolls and preach and teach. Jesus was familiar with all these things. These, these were his grandparents that were head mucky mucks, if you will, over the Sanhedrin in this town that's right close to where they're at. So Jesus' whole family is involved in one way, shape, or form in developing the scripture of this time, this age, this season. So Jesus is constantly looking to the scripture, seeing himself, asking questions. He's got relatives he can ask questions of. And, G and God is calling all of Jesus' family from, from right from the beginning, who Mary was. Now, the reason we're bringing up Mary's parents, Jesus' grandparents, is this. Joachim and Anna were both very similar to Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were getting older, and they had no kids. They were barren, but they made the same promise. They told the Lord, if you will give us a child, we will dedicate that child to the Lord and train them in the ways of God, and they will serve you. They will serve you. We will teach them and train them. So Mary is born to her parents, and they're at an older age, and she's dedicated to the Lord. So we know from other writings that Mary was trained in Scripture. She was actually in a school for young women to learn Scripture. So from a very early age, her parents had dedicated her to the Lord. They are training her in the Scripture. And she knows, Mary knows, that she was a miracle, that she was called for a purpose, and that God was going to use her for his glory in some way, shape, or form. And she has scriptural precedent from before of seeing this 
throughout her life, from the Old Testament all the way through, of people asking God for a child and dedicating him to the Lord. Are you with me? So when the angel shows up to Mary, and, and history will tell us that Mary was no older than 15. She was probably 13 or 14 years old. She could have been as young as 12. Right? I mean, Dagny's 11, almost 12. Can't even wrap my head around that, let alone the 15-year-old sitting on the front row. What? What? But see, Mary wasn't in the ninth grade right? Learning arithmetic. In this history, in this culture, from a very early age, they are trained well in the scriptures. They are trained well in how to live and thrive and survive in society, how to, how to be good husbands and good wives. They are trained from a very early age. They, they were way ahead of us, way ahead of us in training children on what they're calling and what they were, what they were going to do. So by the time she was 13 or 14 years old, she was well-versed in scripture. And I don't mean she had five memorized. She probably had books she could quote. Amen? Yeah. So she, she knew she was called. Her parents had prayed over her. They had dedicated her to the Lord. She was in a school where she was learning scripture. She had seen story after story after story in the Bible where God used young men and women to slay giants and take down kingdoms and, and, and go after the things of God. She had seen this for herself. So by the time she's 13 or 14 years old and the angel shows up and says, blessed are you, you know, where, where most 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds have been like, ah, and run, she's asking honest questions. Hey, I've, I'm called to this. This is who I am. I've been told this my whole life. I've been studying scripture. God uses young people all the time for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen. So you see, this adds a lot more context and background to Mary where she was handpicked by God. Blessed are you, Mary, handmaiden of the Lord. You've been picked by God. I mean, there were a lot of other 14-year-olds in the country, weren't there? And yet God just precisely knew exactly who he was going to use. And she proved herself faithful. And she laid down her life for the sake of the kingdom. See, to me, this fires me up as a dad, reading you know, the Christmas story and getting some historical background. Because we have, a, we have a responsibility to our kids to train them in the things of God. And not haphazardly and once in a while, but like put the scripture in front of them and read the word of God to them and tell them that they're called of the Lord and that they have an anointing and a gifting and a calling that only God can give them. And if they'll yield to it, he'll use them at an early age. And you don't have to wait till you're 37 for him to show up in your life. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so Mary's ready. She's trained. Thank you, Lord. Everybody okay? <laughs> Turn over to, uh, let's read that in Luke real quick. Luke, Luke chapter two. Or Luke chapter one. Is this interesting to anybody else? Yeah. Want to give some perspective and some background. I'm hoping wheels are turning. And you're not just like, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? <laughs> We're going to go to Luke one. Luke one. And I want to show you in verse 32, it says this. It's talking about Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So he, that, that's another scripture right there in Luke where it says Jesus is of the lineage of David. Now, turn over to uh, 2. <clears throat> Luke 2, verse 32. 
Let me see. I want to make sure I get this right, right where I want to be. <clears throat> nope, back to one. Here we go. Chapter one. We're, we're right where I wanted to be. <clears throat> He'll reign over, in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, and there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Now, uh, in verse 30, or sorry, in, in, the, in the first part of this verse uh, of t- uh, t- Luke 1, 26, the angel shows up. And he starts with, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. There's a reason why she was positioned perfectly for this. Because of her parents and her grandparents, right? Her lineage, she was positioned perfectly for this. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, considering what manner of greeting this was. So she's like, that's odd greeting. But she didn't run away. <laughs> blessed, why, blessed am I among women. Why? She's got to be pondering. And the angel says, do not be afraid for you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. And <clears throat> then skip to 34. And it says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, this is a great question because Mary's not questioning the word. She's like, she doesn't have, she doesn't have scriptural precedent for this announcement. Zacharias, right, her cousin's husband, Question the word of the Lord when he said, you're going to conceive and have a son. He had precedent for that because Abraham and Sarah had a son in an old age. He's like, we're old. How is this possible? And he got rebuked and then he was mute the whole time she was pregnant until he came out and it was time to name him and he wrote down his name is John and then his, mouth, his tongue was loosed and he prophesied over him. He, he was rebuked for that question. Mary isn't because there's no scripture where somebody just turns up pregnant without a man. Hadn't happened yet. She's like, mm, I'm going to need a little more clarification on how this is going to go. Okay? That's, that's a legitimate question. How, do, how is this going to happen since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. No rebuke. Just tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on and tells you, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. And this is a sixth month for her. Now, this is interesting because, again, Mary's positioned for this. She's been trained for this. Why? Because her parents valued their child and her upbringing. They, they were barren. They made a deal with God. I'm telling you, we have scriptural precedent to make deals with God. You, you're believing for something that's a promise from him and you haven't seen it yet? You have a scriptural precedent to believe God. You want a baby? Doesn't matter how old you are. You can have a baby. You have a scriptural precedent to have a strong, healthy, vibrant baby. I got like four amens. I'm telling you, if you're watching online, you have scriptural, scriptural precedent. Even if you're past the age, it can still happen. It's in the book. Amen. But they made a deal with God. If you will give us a child, we will dedicate them to the Lord. And they had a girl. And they're like, well, we were kind of hoping for a boy. But hey, we made a promise. And they had no idea that Mary was going to be the mother of the Messiah. They just said, we will commit and promise that whatever you give us, whatever sex of a child you give us, we are going to commit them to the Lord. And we will raise them to know the scripture and to follow you at your word, at your word. Are you hearing me? This is a big deal. This, her parents, again, scroll keeper for the Sanhedrin, knew the word very well. And her mom was from the lineage of the priesthood of Aaron. I mean, that is like golden couple. Amen. So she's ready. She's prepared. When this angel shows up, she says, okay. 
be it, be it unto me. And then she says this, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That's a statement of faith, amen? And then Mary said, that's the angel. He told her, told her, with God, nothing will be impossible. Then she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Come on, she, she could have said a whole bunch of extra stuff, but she'd been prepared from an early age. And there's a good chance she's only 13, 14 years old. It's wild. Now, the, don't, get, don't get wrapped up on the age thing because our culture is completely different. We're in a totally different place than they were then. When, when you were 13, 14, 15 years old in the Jewish culture, they were actually betrothed to a husband. The, the parents picked who you were going to marry. And betrothal, espousal, they call it, doesn't mean you got married right away. It, it means that this is the one you're going to marry and you're keeping yourself from them. And, and that covenant, that betrothal was like marriage except it hadn't been consummated yet. They hadn't come together. But if you were to separate before the actual marriage ceremony, it was still considered a divorce. That's how binding the contract was when you were espoused to someone. And she was espoused to Joseph. So typically in the culture, Joseph's, Joseph's parents would have picked the girl for him. And obviously her parents were on board because they have, they have a little say too. You can't just come in, happenstance some rando. Like, hey, we picked your daughter for our son. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We know that knothead. He can hit the road, Jack. <laughs> right? So, I mean, both, both parents had to come to an agreement for this, for this thing to happen. But she was already betrothed to him, but they had not been through the marriage ceremony yet. He had not known her. But God did this on purpose so that when she became pregnant, he could take her as his wife in the marriage ceremony. But the scripture says he did not know her until after Jesus was born. Amen? So there's no, there, there wasn't a stigma over their lives because of what had happened because Joseph took her and married her and, and everything, was, everything was okay, amen? I mean, we have this happening in our society too, right? Shotgun weddings, gotta get her done quick. I mean, that's basically what we were dealing with because there wasn't a, there wasn't a hanging stigma over the family about what happened with Jesus. Just that's his dad, that's his mom, they got married, here Jesus is, here we go, Amen? So again, his parents, Jesus' parents, Joseph heard from God and was, we know he was righteous. We know he was a good man because he heard from the angel of the Lord and he obeyed when it was time to take her on and say, don't fear. It, this is, she is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It's okay. And he said, okay, okay. And then again, gets instructions from the Lord to leave town, get out of Herod's reach, go to Egypt for a couple of years, and then come back. He hears from God, he obeys. Both of these parents were equipped from an early age, to hear from God, to follow the scriptures, and obey the voice of God. This is how Jesus came into the planet. This is why the angel showed up to said, Mary, you are blessed among all women. And she was like, that is a weird thing to say, but okay. Because she was. She was honored and blessed because of what her parents had put into her and instilled in her and what she had taken on as her identity and who she was. And God called the whole family. We can see it in grandparents and others. Jesus was familiar with the area, with the surroundings, with his, his siblings and his cousins and his relatives. He, he said, there's, there's another scripture where when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, right? And he healed the guy um, on that porch. There's another writing that actually indicates that Jesus' grandparents, so, or excuse me, his great grandparents. So uh, Joaquin's parents actually lived in Jerusalem and they lived right near the entrance to the pool of Bethesda. So he was in the area and he was probably saying hello to the relatives. Maybe getting a meal. I mean, that's what I would do if I show up to my grandparents' house. Hey, what's in the fridge? 
So, I mean, like, it just adds this kind of humanity picture to who Jesus was, that he wasn't this kind of aloof, uh, aloof untouchable prophet, son of God. Like, he, he had family, he had friends, he, he moved around the country, he did the very work and will of God, but he did it, and he included as many as those that would believe in him from his family. And then those that didn't, up until his resurrection, they got on board. They're like, this, okay, I didn't see this coming, but... Jesus was the son of God, like he was the Messiah. Did you see that come? Can you imagine the family dinners after that? Did you see that coming? I didn't either. You know, I mean, I'm sure Jesus skinned his knee. I mean, he was a carpenter. I mean, there had to be at least once you're learning to swing a hammer. At least once you hit your thumb. Come on, right? And we know he was without sin. I mean, he probably said pajama pants like I do. Like, you got to say something, pajama pants. That hurt. I mean, you, you know? Yet without sin, but Jesus was just, he was real. He was real, and he had real family, and it's just so fun to see that. So <clears throat> we see a couple of things where Jesus had family. We see a couple of things where Jesus was in this town of Nazareth that was a, an offshoot, a branch of the line of David. I mean, I don't know about you until you start studying these things. You start thinking, now, how, if the city of David is Bethlehem, and that's where the lineage of David is, I mean, how do you get this, this whole clan moved to Nazareth, and this whole clan is lineage of David, and God gets these two, these two parties together, Joseph and Mary, to be Jesus' parents. And they're both from the household of David. So it's crystal clear to everybody looking from the outside in when it's all said and done and like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus rose from the dead. You're saying he's the Messiah. Okay, well then those people that are astute, they go back to the scriptures. They go, well, it's got to line up. It's got to line up. It's got to make sense. And they start putting the pieces together. And they're like, you mean Mary, her parents were lineage of David and lineage of Aaron, the priest, are you kidding me? And then Joseph, his, his parents, I mean, the, it goes back to David directly, Joseph? Can you imagine them figuring this out? I mean, it's like God put all the pieces together for them so that when they did go back and do their homework, they did go back and do their research, they were going to prove, some of them, that Jesus wasn't the Christ. God just laid it all out and said, yes, he is. He's right here. Can you imagine some of these scribes going, oh, my I was one of the ones chanting crucify him. I was in the crowd. Ugh. Can you imagine? I mean, just the epiphany you would have when you finally see it. And God laid it out so clear, so clean for him. It's just amazing. Thank you, Lord. So I just want to lay out a few things for you this morning about, about Jesus' family, about Jesus' mom, about his dad. There's a few things to say about his dad we don't have time for, but... Um, it's just interesting to see that, that God is not just throwing darts at a board and picking people out. Like, he's laying things out meticulously and showing us that's how he brought Jesus into the earth. But he's also admonishing us as believers to believe him in the same way, to, to trust him that he has a plan for us that's not happenstance and coincidence, that there are there are ways for us to commit ourselves to God, to position ourselves to receive his word, to receive his commandments, to receive his direction. And for those of us that are parents and grandparents, come on, there's things that you have to put into your kids that you can put into them from a very early age that will impact their lives as God gets a hold of them and says, I've called you for such a time as this. And you've prepared yourself and you'd honored yourself and you've put the word of God into you. And because of your parents' faithfulness and your grandparents' faithfulness, I've set you up for this time right here to do everything that I've called you to do and impact the world. But it starts with parents that are willing to say, God, 
You gave me these kids. I'm dedicating them to you. Train me, teach me how to put the word of God into them. Train me and teach them how to put things in them that when they hear from you, they don't run the other way, but they say, yes, God. I knew this was coming. I know your voice. I will obey. Behold the handmaiden or the handservant of the Lord. Use me as you will. Come on, that's what we want our kids to say to God, don't we? But it takes intentionality from us to do something maybe different than we ever have before. To put God first place, put the word first place, put how we're raising him, how we're teaching him. And this comes first, full circle on all of us. You know, to, to honor the Lord in church, to be here on a regular basis, to show our kids that church isn't optional. It's not optional. Because if it's optional for your kids, it'll be way down the road for them. It'll be, you know, when we get to it. Are you hearing me? I mean, Jesus' parents and grandparents lived in the temple. His grandpa was there every day. He was the scroll keeper. He, as he was being raised, both sides of his family were involved in the ministry. They were involved in church. They were involved in the things of God. He got to see it from the very beginning because of how God put his family together. And I don't know about you, but I, I want that for my kids. I want my girls to marry godly men with godly parents that put something in, in them that's good and helpful that will help them with their kids and raising them. Are you hearing me? And if we'll believe and trust, we can be the parents, right, of the godly kid that marries a, a godly spouse. But it starts with us, paying attention, making sure that we are committed to the things of God, that we put that into our kids, that this isn't just something we do on occasion. This is who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We are followers of the Lord. He's the one that leads and guides and directs our steps, and he will call you. When the time is right, he will call you. He will show up, and you're to be ready to say, yes, sir. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm available. See how God does things? Isn't it awesome? More to be said, more of the story to be told, but that's why I started a brief series in December. So we got a couple of weeks of this where we can see some more cool parts and pieces of how this whole thing came together. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Amen. Is this, this, some of this kind of new to you? Like it was, to, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's fun, right? It's fun to see a different side of it, what was going on. You know, again, some of these writings, some of these truths we get from historical writings of the day that have been authenticated as accurate, and, uh, and we can see some broader pictures of what was going on in the surrounding area that gives us a picture of what was happening. It in no way negates or takes away from the word that we have that we trust as life and truth. In no way, shape, or form. It just corroborates everything that we know to be true, amen? And so that's what we're looking for is to see... Uh, Anything God wants to show us to kind of anchor us in, like, boy, we serve a big God. We serve a big God. He's got it figured out. Let's just follow him. It's a good plan. Amen? Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to chat with you and help you in your walk with God. We invite you to connect with us at wcspokane.com slash connect and someone from our team will be in touch with you. You can also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new content in the future. Thanks again for joining us and remember, Jesus is coming soon.